welcome to another edition of the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. This is episode 16 of the 2021 podcast series, taking a look at the draft-eligible prospects and getting you ready for the NFL draft less than 100 days away, April 29th, the pre-draft process really in full swing. All-star games taking place, Senior Bowl right around the corner. 2020 has just been an an odd season. And so the combine, obviously you figure is going to be no exception. And you're absolutely right. You have the college basketball tournaments being held in Indianapolis. So any semblance of a combine there at Lucas Oil Stadium, you throw that out the window. Plus having all of those players flying into one location due to COVID-19. Really, you have to think about safety precautions with that. So we're going to see more regionalized, going to be a lot more pro days, but still we're going to have a combine type atmosphere. You just won't be able to compare guys there in Indy. Um, I really want to go ahead and take a look at all the players that have declared and break down position by position, starting with the offensive side of the football. That's really what the focus of this podcast will be. The next podcast that we'll put together later on this week, we'll go ahead and start taking a look at the defensive side of the football. Really want to focus on guys that we're going to see come off the board, not only in the first round, but also on day two and day three. Um, I also have my first mock draft. I really hold back on putting together a mock draft. And so we really know who's going to be entering the draft. Darion Kendrick, uh, the cornerback out of Clemson, and Chris Olave, the receiver out of Ohio State. Two perfect examples of why I don't want to put one together. Those are two guys that we were thinking about potentially putting in the first round of the draft, and they both decided to return to to uh, Clemson, South Carolina, and Columbus, Ohio, respectively. And so that's really why I want to go ahead and take a look at the mock draft. At this point, we know who's going to be entering the draft, and that's really what we're going to go ahead and break down. Since our last podcast, we did have a national champion declared in Alabama, obviously steamrolls Ohio State. And really, what did we learn from this draft or from from that game for the draft? And you look at Devontae Smith, we knew the type of player that he was. Heisman Trophy winner, Walter Camp, AP Player of the Year, Bolitnikoff Award winner as well. And he just put on a show was uncoverable a lot of times was running wide open three touchdowns on the day before the hand injury you know uh, cut his day short but really at that point Alabama had the game firmly in hand Najee Harris showing why he is my number one running back the the soft hands out of the backfield had a nice one-handed catch down the sideline running with power running with speed also showed his ability to pick up uh, the blitz and pass protection as well that really, to me, solidified him as the number one running back. Mac Jones, physical limitations, yes, but the preparation, you, you saw his ability to you know, throw receivers open, the anticipation, the ball placement, allowing his receivers to get out down the field. Uh, really, at the end of the day, when you watch that offense, Steve Sarkeesian, there's a reason why he's a head coach again. Uh, and honestly, when you look at, at Alabama, Man, Nick Saban, he rejuvenates and restores uh, someone's reputation. You saw that with Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, Butch Jones got a head coaching job at at Arkansas State. Now Bill O'Brien's coming in there to to, uh, take over the offensive coordinator duties. He had a rough go of things there with the Texans after uh, coaching Penn State. So he's looking to really restore his reputation as well. I mean, that's really Nick Saban 
you know, he's kind of a factory for, for coaches and Steve Sarkeesian, no exception. And here's the thing, Steve Sarkeesian, a lot of movement, uh, the ability to take, take advantage of matchups and take advantage of spacing. And that's one of the things that you really saw in this game. So it makes you wonder when you watch Mac Jones, you watch Devontae Smith, Devontae Smith from an athletic standpoint, you know, generational type talent um, with, with the way that he was able to get open. Uh, the route running ability is, you know, the, the suddenness, uh, the long speed as well. You know, this is a guy who I, I think belongs in the top five discussion. Absolutely. You look at Mac Jones, he's going to be the difficult uh really the the most difficult uh judge here when you're looking at, at the draft and uh, trying to figure out exactly where he's going to be when you look at at a steve sarkeesian led uh offense you look at the quarterbacks and find me a quarterback since he's been an offensive coordinator find me a quarterback that has really excelled at the next level you know when he was at usc you had john david booty mark sanchez he moves on to, to washington as the head coach jake locker keith price uh, goes back to USC as the head coach, Cody Kessler, uh, then to Alabama, Blake Barnett, and, and Jalen Hurts. Find me a quarterback that's actually excelled at the next level, running uh, a Steve Sarkeesian-led offense. That's really what Mac Jones has working against him. And everyone says you have to sit there and scout the player, not the helmet. But that is something that has to be in the back of everyone's mind. Alex Leatherwood solidified his status as a first round offensive tackle. He's gonna be a left tackle at the next level. I've got him going off in the first round. Uh, and you look at Christian Barmore, there may not have been a defensive player that helped himself more than Christian Barmore. This was a guy so explosive off the off the ball. He was difficult to block, beating guys to the inside. Uh, the, the hand usage, speed to power, short area quickness. Christian Barmore, to me, has solidified his status um, as a, a top defensive tackle. He and Davion Nixon are going to have one heck of a battle during this pre-draft process. And then if you look at Ohio State, Justin Fields under duress most of the game he was really struggling to to get things going and you know you, you saw him he struggled to get off of his primary read at times only see him parts of the field missing guys uh on on easy throws and also missing some of the the players that were that were lining up under underneath routes um you know i thought that justin fields look you know he, he struggles against ranked opponents and we knew that and then that Clemson game, we thought maybe he had gotten over the hump. You know, that he had finally shown that he can play his best football when the games are mean the most and the lights are the brightest. But it looks like, all right, maybe he was just gearing up for that Clemson game. There was that added motivation and they showed it. You know, that was his motivation and his driving force the entire season. And then he goes up against Alabama and really, really struggled. So, you know, that's the thing that, you know, Justin Fields, you have to ask yourself, is this going to be a guy from a decision-making standpoint that's going to be the, the top two or three quarterback? I think he'll end up falling to, to the number four quarterback in this draft. Um, I think, you know, Trey Sermon, we didn't get to see what he, he could do. Um, obviously, you know, goes down to an injury in the first uh, first series of the game for the Buckeyes uh, but you know that power the speed uh, you know Trey Sermon really put that on display especially that 300 yard performance uh, to, uh, to really propel the Buckeyes into uh, the college football playoff um, you know I, I think the linebackers Pete Werner 
and Justin Hilliard and Baron Browning all solidified their status as mid-round athletic linebackers who can make a, not only make a roster, but be starters and be players in the league for a long time. And if there's anyone for Ohio State who really had his saw his draft stock take a huge hit, that was Sean Wade. Sean Wade, you know, I think has been beaten up quite a bit in the draft community because you know he just continues to struggle on the outside. You know, he really looks more like he should either be playing inside or potentially even at the safety position. And I'll tell you what, there was one shot where uh, Devontae Smith is able to get behind him and gets vertical. And Sean Wade, you worry about the long speed because he looked like he was jogging compared to Devontae Smith getting up to full speed. So you really worry about that. Then there was another play where uh, Devontae Smith comes in motion and you're watching Sean Wade try to keep up with him. And he just... He did not look like you know, he was moving at full speed in comparison to Devontae Smith. And ultimately, Devontae Smith gets to the edge and is able to score a touchdown. It was right there in the goal line. And as Devontae Smith comes in motion, you know, you've got to have a sense of urgency. You just didn't see that out of Sean Wade. I think he solidified uh, his stock as a, a day two pick. And, and I just don't see any way that he can recover from that. So transitioning now, we're going to go ahead and take a look at my first mock draft. And obviously, when you look at the mock drafts, you know who's going to be number one overall. Jacksonville Jaguars have their new head coach, Urban Meyer. He gets his quarterback, gets Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. We're going to break him down further in uh, the mock drafts, to, or I'm sorry, the podcast to come. But I, I think it's safe to say Trevor Lawrence, number one overall pick. We can go ahead and just mark that in pen. And then the draft really starts with that number two overall pick. And the Jets, it's going to be an interesting, you know, go of things here for the New York Jets. You know, you had Adam Gase, um, you know, unceremoniously fired. Uh, and, you know, Robert Sala comes in, the the energetic, uh, passionate defensive uh, defensive coordinator of the 49ers, comes in as the head coach. Uh, Joe Douglas gets his guy. And really, what's going to happen here? You know, we know that the Jets could potentially be on the market for a quarterback. Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston and has said that he wants to go play for Robert Sala. Will that happen? Will they get a deal done? You know, that that remains to be seen um, as to whether or not, you know, do the Jets trade this pick or do they potentially trade Sam Darnold for Deshaun, Deshaun Watson? You know, are there some picks exchanged? Don't really know what would happen there in that situation, but Deshaun Watson is not the only quarterback who wants out. Matthew Stafford also wants out. Then you have Carson Wentz. Now that Doug Peterson is gone, does Carson Wentz still want out of Philly or does he decide that he wants to come back now? That's another situation. And then you have a lot of other quarterback uh, you know, starved franchises. The 49ers, they're not committal with, with Jimmy G. What's going to happen there? Drew Brees, is he retiring there in New Orleans? Do you really think Taysom Hill is the answer long-term for the Saints? Probably not. You look at the Steelers, Big Ben. The last time we saw him in a Steeler uniform, he was sitting on the bench. He was being consoled by his teammates, tears streaming down his face. Is that the end? Do we know if, if, if Big Ben, if, you know, if, if that was the end for him? Or is he going to come back for at least one more year? Look, he's the last of that draft class. Eli Manning you know, retired, and now Phillip Rivers has called it a career as well. So Indianapolis, they're looking for a quarterback. Who's that quarterback going to be? We don't know. Could it potentially be Matthew Stafford? 
Um, so I, I think Pittsburgh, you know, I think Big Ben comes back for one more year. I think when you know when he sits down and talks with the franchise, you look at a lot of the, the, the question marks here at the quarterback position. I think to solidify things for Pittsburgh, give him a quarterback for one more season before they uh, before he decides to call it a career. And uh, you know Pittsburgh can be on the market for a quarterback in next year's draft. So a, a lot of things that are up in the air. The Jets could potentially use that pick, trade it for Deshaun Watson, or trade it for another team that's looking to trade up and get one of the top four quarterbacks in this draft. A lot of moving pieces. You know, there's some other teams that are behind the Jets that are going to be looking for quarterbacks as well. And uh, I think at the end of the day, the Jets have to ultimately consider if they if Sam Darnold's going to be the guy. And you know, right now we're just looking at it, not predicting any trades. I don't ever predict trades in my mock drafts. So if the Jets are staying put at number two, Sam Darnold could potentially still be the guy there in New York. Yeah, and and I think you know he hasn't had an offensive line that's really been able to protect him. It hasn't had the explosive playmakers. Could this pick be uh, De- Devontae Smith? Uh, Jamar Chase, absolutely. But here's the thing. You got to protect your quarterback. Look at what happened with Drew Brees. The, the Saints protected Drew Brees. You know, they, they brought in Ryan Ramchek to, to Eric McCoy. Uh, you know, a lot of offensive line. Andrews Pete, they made their investment up front to protect that quarterback. They This is a draft that has, uh, they can still get their, their running back or their receiver later on in the draft. In the later on in the first round into the second round and still be able to get those guys. I think this pick should be used on an offensive tackle, but I don't think it's going to be Panay Sewell. And here's why: you already have Mackay Becton, who's your left tackle, you know, and George Fant could potentially be your right tackle. Maybe not. Maybe you're looking for an upgrade there. But you look at a guy like Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern. Look, he's only six three, and so because of that, you worry about the arm length. Does he really make more sense at guard or potentially even at center? But look, he has that five position versatility. And really, at the end of the day, if you haven't seen his game against Chase Young, put on that game film. It is absolutely outstanding, uh, the, the level of play that you see from him. And uh, a, a guy who just really dominated, uh, for lack of a better term, dominated Chase Young. But yes, he is 6'3", 314 pounds. Um, so there is some concern, but if Mekhi Becton is going to be your left tackle, I think you can absolutely move Rashawn Slater to right tackle and then still have that versatility. If George Fant's going to be your right tackle, you can kick him inside to guard. We already see you know, with, with Quentin Nelson what it means to have a Pro Bowl caliber guard. Uh, it, and Quentin Nelson was drafted number six overall, so there's no stretch. And the fact that he has that five, uh, five position versatility, you know what? At the end of the day, Rashawn Slater makes more sense to me than Panay Sewell uh, at number two overall for the Jets. So then we move on to number three in the Dolphins. And Tua Tagovailoa is going to get his guy, the court, the receiver that he threw the football to, true freshman to true freshman against UGA. That's right, Devontae Smith going to, to the Dolphins. And I think what they need to do is they need to get some explosive playmakers there. This could potentially be where Panay Sewell goes because then you can take uh, either keep Austin Jackson at left tackle, move Panay Sewell to the right side, or fl- you know, flip-flop him, but you can get your bookend tackles and protect Tua Tango Bailoa, you know, really address that line up front. But the, the ability to get a guy, look, a Heisman Trophy winner, 
you know, what, what he's done this year, how could you not project him to go in the top five? And with the Dolphins needing uh, that explosive playmaker, this could also be Jamar Chase, absolutely. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and go Devontae Smith here, at least for now. Uh, moving on to number four, the Falcons. Arthur Smith is now your your uh, your head coach. And Arthur Blank has kind of been noncommittal there with, with, with Matt Ryan. At quarterback, even Julio Jones at the receiver position, you know, it sounds like they're going to be in the middle of a rebuild. Matt Ryan under contract for another couple of seasons, but I would not be surprised if this pick is used on a quarterback. And I think, you know, with Arthur Smith getting his guy, and that's really the big thing. You look at a lot of these these uh, quarter uh, these quarterback gurus and these offensive coordinators that come in and become head coaches. We saw that with Zach Taylor most recently, re- recently with the Bengals getting Joe Burrow number one overall. I think Arthur Smith comes in and ultimately gets his quarterback of the future. I think Zach Wilson of BYU, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm a huge fan of Zach Wilson, the athleticism, uh, and his uh, just the, the the arm talent is off the charts. His ability on the move, you know, not just squaring up. Everything is all in one motion. It's all one quick, explosive, easy motion, and he just fires darts and puts the ball where not many quarterbacks can put it, just on the money, in tight coverage. And, uh, you know, to me, Zach Wilson makes a lot of sense here to to the Falcons at number four. Number five, the Bengals. Look, you got to protect Joe Burrow. I mean, that's your franchise. He goes down uh, to a knee injury, done for the season. I know you've already drafted Jonah Williams previously. Um, I think you go after another tackle. And look, if you get Panay Sewell to fall to you there at number five, then then absolutely you got to take him. So this is a guy who a lot of people are talking about being a generational talent. You know, I, I think the, the you, you see his his ability to dominate games despite the fact that you know the footwork isn't necessarily clean. There are some reps where you see him stumbling and falling over himself. Uh, there are some times where he gets beaten inside. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that's not giving up any sacks. And so you get some of the the technique and get some of that footwork cleaned up. This could be a guy who could dominate on the outside and you know he reminds me a lot of Brandon Sheriff when he came out of Iowa going to the uh, the Redskins at number five moved inside to guard and he's a pro bowler now so not ruling that out for Panay Sewell either but I think Panay Sewell at number five makes a ton of sense Eagles at number six this could be a lot of different positions people are talking about Micah Parsons I think there's some maturity issues there with Parsons I don't know that I want to go that high with him just yet um, Eagles need you know, a, a top end wide out there for Carson Wentz or whoever's going to be the quarterback. Jalen Hurts, you know, I might get a crack at it as well. I think Jamar Chase, you have to take him in the top 10. And really, you know, I think Jamar Chase is one of those those receivers. What he did uh, last season there with Joe Burrow, you know, the 20 touchdowns, over 1,600 yards receiving, dominated the competition. I think it makes a ton of sense to draft him here at number six. Get your number one wide out. Number seven, the Lions. Detroit looking to move Matthew Stafford. You know, who knows what they're going to really be able to get in return, possibly get a one. That's going to likely be later on in the draft. Um, I think at the end of the day, you're probably going to see a team like the Colts, possibly the 49ers, uh, you know, get a go at Matthew Stafford. So I think this pick is going to be used on a quarterback. And I think at the end of the day, when you're looking at the Lions, this is going to be Justin Fields. This is going to be Trey Lance. Um, and I think Dan Campbell ultimately is going to, I, I think he's going to go after Trey Lance. Um, but here's the thing. 
you know, I think really the big question mark is who's, who are they going to bring in as that veteran quarterback? Because I think Trey Lance needs a couple of years of seasoning, at least one year before he actually is you know, handed over the reins, if you really want him to succeed. So I, I think given the, the current state of the roster, right now I'm going to go ahead and pencil in Justin Fields right here for, for the Lions. And, you know, that's not to say that Justin Fields isn't going to need a year of seasoning as well, but I think of the two uh, right now, I, I would say that Justin Fields is more game ready than, than Trey Lance. Um, so that's probably what I would do there at number seven. Number eight, the Panthers. Look, if Fields is going number seven, then Lance is going to go number eight. You've got Teddy Bridgewater in there to kind of bridge the gap a little bit, no pun intended. Um, but then you bring in Trey Lance after that. You get your quarterback there. you got a couple of receivers there, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I think you've got, you know, solidifying some things there on the offensive side of the football for Carolina. Number nine, the Broncos. They could go corner here. You know, I, I think that's absolutely an option. You could go Patrick Sertan or, or possibly Caleb Farley, but I'm going to go with Micah Parsons, and here's why. You know, I think Micah Parsons, you know, he's, he struggles as an off-ball linebacker, but if you allow him to to get after the quarterback, rush the passer in a Vaughn Miller-type capacity, I think that's where he's probably going to excel the most as he continues to learn to drop into coverage. Bradley Chubb obviously occupying one side. Vaughn Miller, really the question mark is, is what's his status going to be with the franchise? And ultimately, it, long term, if Vaughn Miller is not in their plans, then I think this pick is going to be Micah Parsons. Number 10, the Cowboys. I think you have to shore up that secondary. Definitely in need of an upgrade, no doubt about it. I think Patrick Sertan makes a lot of sense here. Don't rule out Je Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa here. Um, you know, I think Jalen Smith, a lot of people give him a hard time, especially with his playing coverage. But, you know, the fact that he is, uh, he did sign that that big contract. I don't think they're going to be able to get away from that. So I think at the end of the day, this will be Patrick Sertan. Number 11, the Giants. Honestly, I think you need to get a, a vertical threat there for Daniel Jones. This could be where Jalen Waddle comes off the board. But, you know, you, you want to find a guy who's a bigger pass catcher. How about you go after Kyle Pitts, the tight end there for Florida. Not only was he the Mackey Award winner you know, for the top tight end, but he was also a Bolitnikoff Award finalist for the top wide receiver. Kyle Pitts is one of those matchup nightmares. Linebackers can't cover him because he's too fast and he's too big for, for the corners and the safeties. You know, just really dominated whoever it was that lined up against him. It didn't matter. You know, elite cornerbacks. This was a guy you put the ball anywhere near him, and he was coming down with the football. And so I think when you look at the Giants, you've got Evan Ingram, who's kind of struggled a little bit with his hands, but uh, still a guy who can get vertical, can be that that weapon down the field. I think you're adding Kyle Pitts here, a guy that can play outside. You can line him up in the slot. He can be an inline tight end. Bring in Kyle Pitts. I mean, it's just like drafting another receiver but there's an added dimension to his game i think it makes a lot of sense gives them another another wrinkle there to their offense number 12 the 49ers look they've got a ton of corners that uh, are free agents so i, I think it's you know, they're not going to be able to sign them all and so i think at the end of the day caleb farley out of virginia tech you know he sat out a season you know i think you're really going to have to uh, keep an eye on him, especially with some of his workouts. Make sure that he's, you know, that, uh, you know, from a workout standpoint, that he's up to up to snuff. Um, you know, this is a guy that uh, I, I think has just oozed 
potential, and that's really what you're getting with with, with Caleb Farley is is you know potential as much as anything else. Uh, but I'm a huge fan of Caleb Farley. I think he goes off the board number 12 to the Niners. Number 13, the Chargers. They could go a, a couple of different uh, different directions here. Uh, you know, Melvin Ingram. What's going to happen there? You know, I, I think you could potentially go with an edge rusher, whether it's uh, Gregory Rousseau. Uh, you know, the redshirt freshman phenom from a season ago there with uh, with the U. Potentially Aziz Ojolari, the, the outstanding uh, rush outside linebacker there for, for Georgia. But I'm going to go a different direction. I think they need to shore up that offensive line. You've got your, your quarterback at Justin Herbert. You've already seen what's happened to Joe Burrow. You don't want that to happen to your investment. You've got Brian Balaga, who should be playing right tackle anyway. Uh, bringing Christian Derrissaw out of Virginia Tech. you got a couple of Hokies going back-to-back. But I think Derrissaw... About as polished as a guy you're going to find in uh, pass protection. Uh, very smooth with his kick slide. Does a great job as well with those counter moves back to the inside. Um, I'm a huge fan of his, um, which means that at number 14, the Vikings look to, to shore up that, that pass rush. They got to go Gregory Rousseau. Whoever it's going to be, if Rousseau's off the board, potentially Jalen Phillips or Quiddy Pay, but in this situation, I think Gregory Rousseau is going to be their guy. Patriots need to get a vertical threat for whoever's going to be playing quarterback. Uh, I think Jalen Waddell uh, makes a ton of sense there. A lot of comparisons drawn to Tyreek Hill, 5'10, 185 pounds, about the same measurables. He's going to run sub 4'4 as well. Uh, Cardinals. Look, they need to address that corner position. Patrick Peterson you know, is, is starting to get up there in age as well. I think J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Look, he's, he's one of my favorite corners in this draft. Um, I think the number three corner, Cardinals getting a steal, I think, at, at number 16 with that pick. Raiders need to address uh, that, that linebacking core. Uh, they also need to address that defensive front. So I wouldn't be surprised if this pick is Christian Barmore, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the Butkus Award winner and Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. Feels a lot like a Mike Mayock type guy, very versatile, the guy that can play, play linebacker, could be that rover, play safety. Here's the thing. He's not like uh, Isaiah Simmons. He always had that designated position, and he did it, you know, excel. Whatever he did, whatever he needed, if you needed him to rush the quarterback, if you needed him to drop into coverage, this is a guy who's very instinctive, and uh, yes, he is 6'2", 215 pounds, a little bit undersized, but uh, he's that new wave linebacker uh, for the NFL, and I think Mike Mayock wants to get ahead of things, get a linebacker like that you know, on his roster. Uh, the Dolphins with their second pick in round number one. Like I said, this could be a, an offensive tackle, could be Alex Leatherwood, um, but I think at the end of the day, you're looking at that running back group uh, really a running back by committee. Miles Gaskin, I think, is is your number one right now. I think you got to go Najee Harris. They're going to get to see him. That coaching staff is going to get to see him at the Senior Bowl. So I think Najee Harris makes a ton of sense here. Uh, Redskins at number 19. They need an offensive tackle. I think they desperately do. And, uh, you know, Cornelius Lucas playing the left side right now. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, pencil him in right there. Uh, the Bears need a wideout. You know, I know we really don't know who's going to be playing quarterback there. Uh, the Bears should have mentioned them earlier. Uh, they're in uh, you know, a situation there. Nick Foles need to bring in another quarterback to uh, co- to compete with him because he's clearly not the long-term answer. Um, Allen Robinson likely not going to be in Chicago. I'll take Rashad Bateman uh, out of Minnesota. 
you know, I think this is a guy who doesn't necessarily have that vertical speed, but, you know, he reminds me a lot of Allen Robinson with the size and, and the physicality and his ability to, to, you know, to get open with his route running ability. Uh, Indianapolis, look, they need to, to address that offensive line. Left tackle Anthony Costanzo's called it a career. Samuel Cosme out of Texas reminds you a lot of Costanzo. Uh, Cosme, 6'7", 310, the junior, uh, makes a ton of sense there. Titans. You know, they could go for an edge rusher. Could be uh, Aziz Ojolari. I think this is where Car- uh, Christian Barmore comes off the board. Uh, the Jets uh, sitting at number 23. You know, I think if you go offensive tackle, you know, wh- whatever the case may be, I think they can still go running back here uh, with the 23rd overall pick. Uh, they, they Look, they, they need to address the, the running back position and uh, you know get younger there at the position as well. I think Travis Etienne makes a ton of sense. Get that explosive playmaker there for Sam Darnold or whoever's going to be playing quarterback. Um, you know, 24, the Steelers, I, I think when you look at them, they need to address that right tackle position, possibly also uh, the interior of that line. Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. Look, he was the offensive lineman of the year for USC, and he had Austin Jackson, uh, who was the 18th overall pick in last year's draft, lined up next to him. Uh, moved out to left tackle, had you know, put on a, a really good show there for the Trojans, uh, really graded out well. Um, did struggle at times with some speed, may actually be at his best. Um, on the right side or at guard. Um, but I think it makes a ton of sense for him to come off the board in round number one. I think this is probably the right value for him. Uh, number 25, the Jags. They need to address the interior of that defensive front. Davion Nixon, very athletic there out of Iowa. Makes a ton of sense. The Browns at 26. Look, Olivier Vernon went down with that Achilles tear. You know, you've got Miles, Miles Garrett, but... He needs a running mate, and uh, I think Jalen Phillips really solidified himself as one of the top edge rushers there in the country. Uh, you know, transferred from UCLA to Miami. The biggest thing for him is going to be the medicals. That could be a huge red flag for him. Could end up uh, moving him down in, uh, a lot of people's draft boards. If the Browns can get him here at 26, that could potentially be a steal because he was very versatile, showed speed, showed power, excellent hand usage as well. Um, at 27, the Ravens, if they can get Aziz Ojolari here, that would be a huge steal. Yes, they bring in Yannick Ngakwe, but they still need to put pressure on the quarterback. Aziz Ojolari makes a ton of sense. Uh, at 28, the Saints, they need a linebacker. How about the Nagurski winner, Zaven Collins? You know, this was my favorite player in the entire uh, college football season. You know, if you listen to my podcast, you'll know I, I've been pounding the, uh, the, the the table for Zayvon Collins any chance I got. And this is a guy who, you know, whatever you needed him to do, what, you know, play sideline to sideline, play behind the line of scrimmage, rush the quarterback, drop into coverage, pick off passes, you know, walk off interception, 96 yards for a touchdown against Tulane. He's got you. And so I, I think, you know, Collins, if he falls all the way to 28, the Saints will be getting a steal, in my opinion. The Packers, I've recorded this after the uh, NFC and AFC championships. So the, the Packers, we know, lost to the Bucks, and you know, Chandon Sullivan was really exposed. Uh, Kevin King also struggled as well. I think you need to address that corner position. Eric Stokes out of Georgia makes a lot of sense. Bills, Bills lost to the Chiefs. Uh, I think the interior of that offensive line struggled. Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State would be a nice upgrade there. Uh, the Buccaneers have them take, you know, drafting 31 right now. 
They're going to Super Bowl 55 to play the Chiefs. Right now, the Chiefs are probably going to be the favorite. So I'm going with the Buccaneers here at 31. And I think they need to shore up that secondary, really exposed against the Packers. They could go offensive line as well. But how about Tra- uh, Travon Merrick, the, the Jim Thorpe Award winner, a guy who you know has ball skills for days and come up, reliable tackler in the open field. I think that makes a ton of sense. Put Merrick there, play him alongside Antoine Winfield. And then the Chiefs, they need to get another pass rusher. How about Joseph Osai out of Texas, a guy who, you know, whose motor ran about as hot as anybody in uh, 2020. So though that's my very first mock draft. And, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of these picks make a ton of sense. Um, but we'll have to see how everything plays out, the pre-draft process. And uh, we'll be talking about it here week in and week out. So I talked about the fact that we wanted to at least start taking a look at the offensive side of the football with this podcast. And uh, we're going to dive right into the quarterback position. And, uh, you know, when you look at the last five drafts, um, a total of 62 quarterbacks have been taken and around 12.4, you know, is, is your average. So right around 13 quarterbacks coming off the board. We had 13 quarterbacks taken in 2020. Uh, you know, when you look at this draft, we know that there are going to be four quarterbacks taken in round number one. I think Mac Jones, Kyle Trask really are going to be that next group coming off the board on day two. I think if there is going to be a quarterback taken in round two, it will be Mac Jones. I think Kyle Trask still reminds me a lot of, of Mason Rudolph. And, you know, I think a lot of it is that arm strength you know, and the question marks there. I, I think ultimately, you know, third round makes a lot of sense for Kyle Trask. And then after that, you know, I think that next group is going to end up being, you know, Kellen Mond, Jamie, Jamie Newman. Kellen Mond, you know, he has that, that arm talent and you see the, the explosiveness, um, but questionable decision making at times, inconsistency. Jamie Newman transferred from Wake Forest to Georgia, then decided he was going to sit out. You know, there, there he needs some development to his game as well. Um, some questionable decision making at times there with, with Jamie Newman I mean if you look at his, his stats there for the Demon Deacons um, you know 35 touchdowns 16 interceptions including 11 in 2019 really needed to cut down on things I would have loved to have seen him actually play out a season there uh, in Athens uh, but that being said I think he'll come off the board in round number four uh, in round five, traditionally, you're looking at one to two quarterbacks taken in round five. I think Davis Mills is going to be your guy there out of Stanford. Uh, decided to declare for the draft. We've seen a few guys on the offensive side of the football for Stanford entering the draft. And, and with Davis Mills, you're going to get a guy who uh, is probably about as pure a passer as you're going to find in the draft. Um, you know, ended up taking over the, the quarterback position as a junior. Uh, steps in, you know, for KJ Costello and then steps in as a senior takes over the role and uh, you know at 65.4 percent career uh, passer and uh, 18 touchdowns just eight interceptions um, 6'4 225 pounds still a bit green and so I think he'll come off the board round five-ish you know reminds me a little bit of of uh, Jacob Eason in that way um, round six and seven, you know, you're looking at probably about four to five quarterbacks taken in this in this area. So, you know, I look at a guy like Peyton Ramsey out of out of Northwestern makes a lot of sense as a guy that's going to be coming off the board at some point. Um, the guy, you know, all he did was put Indiana and, and Tom Allen in a nice position there for my, Michael Penix to take the reins in 2020 and really lead Indiana to uh, that next step in that upper echelon for the Big 12, Big 10. And uh, what does he do at Northwestern? Ends up 
captaining this team to a Big 12, or I'm sorry, a Big 10 championship berth. And, uh, you know, look, he's a career 65% you know, completion percentage, 54 touchdowns, but 31 interceptions. Um, needs to cut down on, on the mistakes. That's one of the things that you really worry about. You know, the arm strength is okay. It's not. It's good, but not great. But he can drive the ball outside the numbers to the wide side of the field when he needs to. Um, it's just consistency is a huge issue for him. Very uh, athletic, though. 6'2", 220 pounds. I think he can end up being a six-round quarterback and a guy that's going to end up making a roster. Um, you have Shane Bouchelle out of SMU, another guy that's going to be in that spread-type offense, but a guy who has a you know an excellent arm. He's just 6'1", 207, but uh, you know over 11,000 uh, yards. You know, and in his two seasons there at SMU, um, 57 touchdowns, just 16 interceptions. Son of uh, a former baseball player, Steve Bouchelle. Uh, you look at Felipe Franks out of Arkansas. Look, 6'6", 228. Um, had the injury there at Florida. Kyle Trask came in and ultimately he had to transfer to Arkansas to, to see any playing time. But at Arkansas, look, you know, he completed over 68% of his passes, seven touchdowns, just four interceptions. Shows off some athleticism as well uh, for a guy his size. I think he'd be worthy of a late round pick. Um, same goes for, uh, you know, I think Ian Book. Sam Ellinger, I think we're going to see them drafted probably late on day uh, day three, seventh round picks. I think Sam Ellinger ultimately is going to be a Taysom Hill type player. I don't really see him being a quarterback at the next level. Ian Book, limited physically, um, you know, limited in terms of his height, but a guy that is just a gamer is going to go out there. You know, His team, Notre Dame, was never out of it because of his improvisational skills. Reminds me a little bit of Chase Daniel in that way, you know, the, the stature and just that, that gamer and, and that baller mentality. So, uh, you know, I, I think that can make some sense there. Um, and rounds things out there at that quarterback position. The running backs. So here's what's interesting about the running backs. In the last five drafts, we've had 115 running backs taken. Last year, we only had 16 running backs taken. That was the fewest since 2010, the, the draft where we saw C.J. Spiller, Ryan Matthews, Javid Best, Toby Gerhardt. Um, but I look at this year's draft, and I think there are a lot of running backs that I would really be interested in taking. Um, you know, I, I think what you're going to see is, is round one, we know Najee Harris, Travis Etienne are my guys. Uh, round two, you know, traditionally you're going to see right around three running backs taken. Um, you know, we've had as, as few as one in 2016 and 2019 and as many as five uh, last season. I think Javante Williams, Michael Carter uh, of UNC, and then and Trey Sermon out of Ohio State, those are going to be your three, three guys that – to me, are locks to go up, come off the board in round two. Round three, traditionally right around three running backs coming off the board here. I think Kenneth Gainwell, Javian Hawkins, a couple of, of undersized guys who really put up a ton of yards there from Memphis and Louis, uh, Louisville, respectively. I think that makes a ton of sense. Kenneth Gainwell sat out the season uh, due to the, the COVID-19 protocols, but um, as a redshirt freshman, over 1,400 yards on the ground, 13 touchdowns, also have 51 receptions. Um, Javian Hawkins, look, was just 5'9", 196, but the contact balance was ridiculous. Over 1,500 yards on the ground in 2019 and through eight games, eight, you know, 6.2 yards per carry, uh, you know, and, and caught 16 passes out of the backfield for the Cardinals. I think those guys make a ton of sense coming off the board in round three. Uh, along with uh, Khalil 
Herbert. Now, Khalil Herbert, you know, this is an interesting guy. Uh, came out of Kansas, you know, that transfer, grad transfer, and really got to showcase on a team that, uh, you know, with the Hokies, a team that actually had a decent running game. You know, uh, just under 1,200 yards on the ground, 7.6 yards per carry, uh, and, uh, you know, and eight touchdowns. A guy that can run with power, has some speed on the outside, showed some wiggle as well. I, I think he's a guy that has to be a day two pick. And then when you get into in a day three, there's still going to be a lot of uh, a lot of running backs. Tylen Hill was a thousand yard rusher uh, under Joe Moorhead, and then transitions to to Mike Leach and showed off the hands. And that was one of the things that was so impressive. Played in just three games with 23 receptions in just three games, 67 in his career. I would have loved to have seen what Kylan Hill could have done had he stayed healthy, just how many receptions he would have had, really showcasing the, the hands. And I think, you know, he had that injury, but he's somebody to me makes sense coming off the board in round four. Jer- uh, Jarrett Patterson, a guy who I think is quicker than he is fast. You see the jump cut ability, but a guy that's not going to be a burner. 5'9", 195, the junior. Uh, you know, three straight 1,000-yard seasons there for Buffalo. Just under 1,800 yards in 2019 with 19 touchdowns in this season. In just six games, uh, 1,072 yards, 7.6 yards per carry, 19 touchdowns. Uh, you know, Dude was an absolute beast uh, on the ground. Eight touchdowns uh, on, on the day there in a 400-yard game. Um, you know, This is a guy who's going to be a workhorse for you. Um, fourth round feels about right for him. How about Demetric Felton out of UCLA? Um, you know, the senior here, you know, I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, the converted receiver, a guy that reminds me a lot of, uh, of Naeem Hines. Um, 99 receptions uh, and 233 carries. Um, you know, a guy that to me is explosive, a guy that, you know, the contact balance for a guy his size is, is ridiculous. Makes a ton of sense there. You know, Antonio Gibson's another guy, another receiver, running back combo that comes to mind. Chuba Hubbard and, and Ramondre Stevenson there out of the Big 12, uh, Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, respectively. Chuba Hubbard, to me, you know, he's, he's a very fast individual, you know, a guy that can get vertical. Um, but when we look at o- Oklahoma State, that offense, really the running back is kind of interchangeable. You know, just, Justice Hill, Chuba, Chuba Hubbard, L.D. Brown, Desmond Jackson, didn't matter who you put in at the running back position, they all excelled. And I think what Chuba Hubbard struggled with this year was that offensive line wasn't creating holes, at least at the beginning of the season. And so he struggled, struggled quite a bit, um, trying to really create for himself. Round four makes more sense to me for him. I think, you know, early on, there was hype around him potentially being a first rounder. I just, I don't see that happening. Ramondre Stevenson, He's not just an H-back, folks. This is a guy, he's six foot, 246 pounds, and has footwork, you know, for a guy that's, you know, that's half his size. Um, you know, a guy that, look, when Oklahoma's offense, when he came back, that offense, completely different complexion. He makes a ton of sense there coming off the board in round four to me because of that that potential to be a difference maker for, for an NFL franchise. You look at it, uh, fifth round, traditionally about three, uh, three running backs taken uh, and uh, you know we had let's see only one come off the board in round five uh, last season but we've had as many as six in 2016 I look at Elijah Mitchell out of out of uh, Louisiana this is a guy that can run the ball between the tackles can bounce it to the outside decent hands as well um, you know Jamar Jefferson 
a guy that I think up until that Oregon game this year, there were a lot of question marks. Is this going to be a guy that can really uh, take the top off of the defense? You know, a lot of people were underwhelmed. And then you watch that game, and he's splitting defenses and running away from guys. And that was really his coming out party. And uh, so I think he took advantage of that, decided to, to declare for the draft. And I think round five, I think that's where he has to come off the board. Deion Jackson, a guy that nobody's really talking about, but has had a really nice career there for Duke. Six foot, 215 pounds, over 2,200 yards on the ground, 18 touchdowns, 61 receptions. That's something you know to really look at. You know, when you talk about that, 61 receptions, that's more than what Elijah Mitchell had there at Louisiana. And he's always known as a guy that can catch the football out of the backfield. I think that'd be nice value there. And then Chris Evans out of Michigan. Now, this is a guy who's battled injuries, but a very physical running back, 5'11", 216 pounds. And, uh, you know, if he can stay healthy, he can end up being a steal for a team. You know, look, 49 receptions in his career, just 30, 320 carries. Uh, so not a lot of mileage on those legs it's just going to come down to whether or not medicals can clear for him and right now i think fifth round if you can get him there and the medicals check out that'd be a steal round six about cj marable out of out of coastal carolina another guy who has uh the athleticism you know, ran that that spread option there for the chanticleers and uh at six foot 200 pounds um, you know, 84 receptions in his career, including 31 this past season, catching the football from uh, the freshman Grayson McCall. Uh, I think sixth round makes a lot of sense there for me. Raheem Boyd out of Arkansas, another guy that can catch the football out of the backfield. Same goes for Puka Williams. Um, you know, didn't really get a chance to showcase what he could do there at Kansas, um, just because Kansas that, that program really struggling to get anything going. But look. Back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons uh, as a junior, just played in four games. Um, he's a little undersized. He's 5'10", 170 pounds, but definitely a guy that can be explosive, uh, especially if you get him out on the perimeter. Caleb Huntley out of Ball State is a guy that reminds me a lot of, of, uh, of James Robinson coming out of Illinois State. He's kind of the sleeper for me in this, in this, in this entire draft. And uh, a guy that, look, he's 5'10", 229 pounds, very powerfully built, one year removed from over uh, over 1,200 yards on the ground. Let's see, just 19 receptions in his career, so he needs to show you know better hands uh, coming out of the backfield. But in just three games, average, uh, you know, let's see, 5.5 yards per carry. Um, had that rib injury, ended up deciding to sit out the remainder of the season. But I think his physicality and the way that he runs the football it just reminds me a lot of James Robinson. Um, you know, I seen Rose out of Kentucky, another guy that I could see coming off the board in the sixth, seventh round range. I think Spencer, Spencer Brown, Brendan Knox, a couple of big physical guys. Look, Spencer Brown reminds me a lot of, of uh, Kareem Hunt when he came out of Toledo. A couple of guys who lost weight and became more explosive because of it. But Spencer Brown is the guy that I think through this pre-draft process could end up finding himself moving up draft boards. And I think he can end up, when it's all said and done, come off the board in that fourth, fifth round range. Right now I have him at, at uh, you know in the seventh round, but uh, I, I could see him easily moving into that area where I have Chris Evans. Uh, Brendan Knox, a guy that's, you know, he's big, he's physical, downhill runner, very decisive, but uh, not much of a factor in the passing game. Uh, Jared Dokes uh, out of Cincinnati battling some injuries but look you know six foot 230 pounds very physical back 
Um, not a whole lot of mileage on his on his legs, but like I said, has battled some injuries. Showed soft hands coming out of the backfield. I think he deserves a shot. Uh, Trey Regis and Stevie Scott, you know, out of uh, out of uh, Louisiana and Indiana, respectively. A couple of big physical guys, downhill runners, uh, both. Uh, you know, capable of thousand-yard seasons there at the collegiate level, and uh, you know, I think the biggest thing for the two of them is they're going to be more of those short yardage guys, the change of pace backs, um, kind of what AJ Dillon, the type of role that he's doing right now for the Packers. Um, so I think those are guys that would probably come off the board at the end of uh, of the draft there in round number seven. If we look at the receiver position, here's what's interesting. You know, we have 37 receivers come off the board in 2020. That's the most since 2003. That was the draft when we saw Charles Rogers, you know, drafted there in the top 10. Andre Johnson was in that draft, as was Anquan Bolden. Um, 162 wide receivers taken in the last five drafts. Right around 32, 33 receivers is about the average. And right now, you know, we've got Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, uh, Jalen Waddell, uh, Terrace Marshall um, as a potential uh, receiver in the first round, as is Rashad Bateman. Uh, right now I have four receivers with Bateman being the fourth. Um, you know, you've got Marshall, uh, Elijah Moore out of uh, Mississippi. He was a Blitnikoff Award finalist, you know, the slot receiver, uh, a guy that I think he's, he's a little undersized, but you know he's going to be a, a playmaker there on the outside. Rondell Moore out of Purdue. You know, he's decided to enter the draft, and this is a kid, look, he burst onto the scene as a freshman and was absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, over, over 1,200 yards, 114 receptions, uh, 12 touchdowns, also carried the ball another 21 times. Um, you know, 5'9", 180 pounds, just a big ball of muscle. This was a guy that was lifting with the offensive line, um, but has only played in seven games in the last two seasons. And so you worry about the durability you know, this is a guy. Look, you know, if, if you're you're hitting the weights, you know, then you have to worry about some of that flexibility. You know, if you're going to be you know, a big ball of muscle, you got to hope that there's some flexibility to you. Otherwise, you're you're susceptible and prone for for tears. Um, I should know. You know, I tore my calf muscle, my my uh, my Achilles tendon, and a lot of that was due to my leg muscles just being tightly wound uh, and. Ultimately, you know, the energy's got to go somewhere at some point. And so a lot of that went with, with my muscles. And, I'm sorry, muscles and tendons. And so that's what I worry about with Rondell Moore. That's why I think ultimately he's going to go off the board in round two. Um, Elijah Moore mentioned his stats, you know, over 1,100 yards uh, this past season, 86 receptions in just eight games there for the Rebels. Um, you know, Kadarius Tony really solidified himself as a, a guy that's kind of come off the board in the first two days. Was kind of a gadget gimmick guy, reminds you like uh, Tavon Austin type, but really has kind of developed himself and put him, you know, as a complete receiver, more of a, a Debo Samuel type of guy. Um, I think he comes off the board in round two. Tutu Atwell, um, really an undersized little guy, but very, you know, very speedy, a guy that's going to get vertical. Uh, Tylen Wallace, physical, um, Belitnikoff Award uh, finalist from a couple of years ago. Very physical guy, plays bigger than his 5'11 frame. Um, likes to go up and, and, and high point the football. Uh, you've got Seth Williams and Sage Surratt, a couple of bigger receivers. Sage Surratt, um, he, he sat out this past season due to the COVID protocol, but at 6'3", 215 pounds as a sophomore, 
Um, played in only nine games, battled some injuries, but all Jamie Newman had to do was put the ball anywhere near him, and he would go up and attack the football. Um, Thousand-yard uh, receiver there through those nine games, 11 touchdowns, um, large catch radius, and that's the same thing for Seth Williams, 6'3", 211 pounds, the junior, um, you know, 17 touchdowns in his career. And look, the biggest thing that you worry about with Seth Williams and Sage Surratt, and the reason why they're not coming off the board in round number one, is the fact that you worry about whether or not they can separate. Are, you know, are they an Alshon Jeffrey type of guy, a guy that's going to mostly be, you know, the, the guy that's going to attack the ball. Um, you know, vertically, you're being able to uh, to high point that football, those 50-50 balls, and, and you know, really have to use that body to box box the, uh, defenders out, um, and not really be able to create much separation. When you look at round number three, on average, about four receivers coming off the board in round three in the last uh, last five drafts. Uh, Travon Grimes, big receiver there for Florida. Mari Rogers. I love this guy, you know, out of, out of Clemson. He was 5'10", 210 pounds, uh, a physical guy. The contact balance is ridiculous. And, uh, you know, a guy that I think is going to uh, live in the slot there, a guy that's going to be fearless going over the middle. Um, you know, Dwayne Eskridge uh, out of Western Michigan. This is a guy that's really interesting to me, a guy that's going to uh, really tear the, uh, the combine up wherever he's going to be running, a guy that can get vertical and hurry um explosive speed you know, that's really going to be the biggest thing that you're going to see out of him and uh so i think because of that i think he ends up coming off the board uh in that round three range and then nico collins big physical receiver there from michigan um jonathan adams you know was a a guy that at arkansas state really with covid people were able to really watch this guy he was more on a national stage there for Arkansas State 6'3 220 pounds he took full advantage of it and uh, look you know, 79 receptions over 1100 yards 12 touchdowns on the year showed off you know an amazing catch radius big physical um, the yards after catch you know just throwing guys around um, I think fourth round makes a lot of sense you know reminds me a little bit of Hakeem Butler um, you know Amir Smith-Marset out of Iowa Another vertical threat. We saw what he could do against USC in that Holiday Bowl. Um, Austin Watkins. You know, this is the guy for South Florida uh, that I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but you should be. Um, you know, I think South Florida because they didn't have a. I'm sorry, not South Florida, but UAB. The UAB. Look, they're a Group of Five team. Not a lot of people talked about Spencer Brown either, but you know, I think these two guys. Um, could end up being difference makers at the next level. Look, he's 6'3", 210 pounds, a year removed from a 1,000-yard season, played in just seven games for the Blazers this year. Um, but, look, he's, he's big, um, large catch radius, has some vertical speed as well. I think it makes a lot of sense for him to come off the board in round four. Um, same thing with, with Simi Fajoko. Not a guy that, uh, you know, Stanford not known for, for their vertical passing game. But this guy was their vertical threat, a guy that could, you know, end up running a legit – 4440 and you know for a guy who is his size he's a big dude and you know when you're talking about a guy like that running um in that 44 range 64 227 pounds you're going to take notice um round 5 i think that's where you're going to see some of your slot guys come off the board a wap filior out of out of uh indiana uh, Kate Johnson out of South Dakota State. You know, a couple of guys, very sure-handed receivers. Look, you know, Wap Filior had 18 receptions in the bowl game. Um, Kate Johnson also a, a threat in the return game. Dax Milne, 
Man, he was the favorite target this season for, for Zach Wilson coming out of BYU. The juniors decided to enter the draft. Shai Smith, another slot receiver. Um, this was a guy who, look, you know, he, he seemed like he was there for for South Carolina for the better part of a decade. Um, you know, so you know, Deami Brown, um, another guy that can get vertical there for, for uh, Sam Howell at uh, UNC. And then how about, to round things out, Warren Jackson out of Colorado State. Can't forget the big physical receiver there for the Rams. Opted out of the season due to, to COVID. Um, but look, you know, he has tremendous length, catch radius for days. And uh, you know, at 6'6", 215 pounds, over 1,100 yards there for the Rams in an offense that, look, you know, they, they weren't high-powered. But when you think about the Rams, you think about you know, Preston Williams, and you think about Ola B.C. Johnson, Warren Jackson deserves to be in that conversation. And I think Warren Jackson may end up getting drafted a little bit higher because of that pedigree there for, for Colorado State and developing some of their receivers. Round number six, I think that's ultimately where Cor- uh, Cornell Powell is going to go. I, I just don't see him being the, the, the prospect that Amari Rodgers is. Um, Jalen Darden is an interesting cat uh, there for North Texas. This is a guy, he he scored more touchdowns than anybody with 19, sat out the bowl game. Otherwise, he he could have really taken that to the next level. Ultimately was surpassed by, by Devontae Smith but definitely an explosive playmaker there. Very undersized, as is Otis Anderson, but very explosive, can make you miss in the open field there out of uh, UCF. And then how about Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn? And you've got a track guy out there. Um, you know, he, he struggled with some production, but uh, speed kills. And so I, I think in that sixth, seventh round range, it makes a lot of sense there. Uh, DeMonte Coxey out of Memphis was the go-to guy there for Brady White. Uh, Des Fitzpatrick, a bigger receiver there. You know, he was a nice compliment for Tutu Atwell. Um, Marquez Stevenson, speedster there for Houston, a guy that you know was known to get vertical. Um, you know, Daz Newsom, you know, was was a, a playmaker there for for UNC. Um, and then Marlon Williams, uh, a reliable target there for UCF. Those are guys that I can envision coming off the board there in that seventh round range. Um, you know, right now, uh, and, and if you were to add those guys up, if you're looking at a total um, receivers, that would be 37. So ultimately, we'd be duplicating the total number of drafted receivers in 2020 if each of those guys that I named comes off the board in uh, the 2020 draft. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Transitioning to the tight ends. 68 tight ends drafted in the last five years. You're looking between 13 and 14 tight ends taken. Now, obviously, we've only had uh, six tight ends drafted in round number one. Uh, I think Kyle Pitts, the foregone conclusion, we know he's coming off the board in round one. Will there be another tight end coming with him? Pat Firemuth is the only guy that I can see potentially coming off the board. But look, Rob Ronkowski... He was a second-round pick coming out of Arizona. I think Baby Gronk is going to be a second-rounder as well, as will be Brevin Jordan. I think Brevin Jordan is a guy, 6'3", 245 pounds. Uh, the, the yards after catch really jumps off uh, uh, off the game film. The biggest thing for me is going to be that, that 40 time. You know, when you're talking about a guy that's that's undersized at the tight end position, you got to be able to run like Evan Ingram to come off the board in the first couple of days. Um, otherwise, you end up being a guy like Hunter Bryant. He ran in the four sevens and really fell off uh, off draft boards. 
round three, Hunter Long was a, was a reliable go-to target there um, at BC for Phil Dracovic. And so I, I think Hunter Long makes a lot of sense in round three, 6'5", 253, the junior, 89 catches in his career uh, for over uh, 1,297 yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, Tommy Tremble, um, look, just caught 35 passes in his two seasons there at Notre Dame, but he's 6'4", 248, tremendous blocker. And I think the upside there at the receiving position, he's gonna be, look, you know, George Kittle didn't catch a ton of passes there for Iowa and went on to do great things, obviously, for the 49ers. I'm not saying Tommy Tremble's gonna be the next George Kittle, but I think the athleticism there, there's just some untapped potential that we haven't seen. We, I think we may yet to have seen the, the best from, uh, from Tommy Tremble. Uh, Noah Gray, Kenny Yaboa, Matt Bushman, I think are the three tight ends that we can potentially see come off the board in round number four. Yaboa uh, was a Temple for four years. Grad transfer comes to, to Oxford and Ole Miss and uh, 27 catches, 524 yards at 19.4 yards per reception, six touchdowns. Um, I, I really like Noah Gray as well. 6'4", 240, um, very athletic tight end. Um, you know, ultimately the quarterback plays, you know, they struggled a little bit there throwing the football, um, but definitely an athletic tight end there. Um, and then Matt Bushman, look, Matt Bushman battled injuries. And, uh, you know, that was the thing, you know, you look at BYU, they were so impressive with that offense. You know, they had Isaac Rex, that redshirt freshman. They were missing their 6'5", 240 pound weapon um, who had caught, um, you know, 125 passes, 1,700 yards, nine touchdowns uh and a guy that showed that he could stretch the seam stretch the middle of the field up the seam and uh you know i think it makes a ton of sense to have him come off the board in round four round five you're, you're probably looking and we've had you know last year we didn't have any tight ends come off the board in in, in round five but uh in round in 2017 we have five i'm looking at a guy like like tony Poljam um out of uh, out of virginia and look you know with tony Here's the situation here with him. Um, you know, a guy who was a converted quarterback there at Central Michigan uh, for the Chippewas ends up transferring to, to the Cavaliers um, for his final season. And look, um, caught 83 passes in, in two seasons there for Central Michigan and Virginia. And, uh, you know, this past season, had six touchdowns, you know, caught you know uh, 38 balls for 411 yards. Um, had that nice athletic catch there in the back of the end zone. Um, you know, he's 6'7", 265. He's one of those developing, developmental prospects that I think you could see him see him come off the board there. And then Quentin Morris out of uh, Bowling Green, he's 6'4", 248. Another guy who's very athletic at the tight end position. Um, you know, in, as a sophomore and junior, had 97 catches for over uh, 1,100 yards with 11 touchdowns. Very athletic guy. Um, struggles a little bit with his blocking, which is why he's not coming off the board any sooner. But I think it makes a lot of sense there. And then how about Kerry Angeline out of uh, out of UN? I'm sorry, out of uh, NC State. Ultimately, was a showed up at USC. Ends up transferring to NC State. He's 6'7", 250, another big target. Look, you know, 27 catches, over 400 yards, six touchdowns, average 15.3 yards per reception. Needs to show me a little bit more as a blocker, but I, you know, I like him as you know with his size and, and, uh, and the athleticism. 
Um, round seven, Zach Davidson out of Central Missouri. I, if you haven't gotten to see this guy play, he's got receiver skills for guy at, at the tight end position. Runs really well. Um, runs away from guys um, in, in the open field. Six seven, you know, tight end. Um, a lot of lot to like there. I think Josh Pedersen out of uh, ULM, Louisiana Monroe. Um, he's a guy that I really like, and. Uh, I haven't gotten to see his game film yet this year, but look, you know, last season had 43 catches, 567 yards, nine touchdowns, and a guy that he, he was one of those reliable targets and uh, what was a weapon whenever whenever they, they needed a big play, that was who they were going to. 6'5", 235, I think he deserves a look there in round seven. And then Miller Forrestall, look. If Miller Forrestall had stayed healthy there at Alabama uh, throughout his career, then I'd say that guaranteed this is a guy that's coming off the board, you know, in that fourth round range. He's 6'4", 244, excellent blocker, showcased some hands this past season. Um, But look, you know, coming into this year, uh, had only played in 14 games in four seasons uh, before playing in 10 games this year, battled some injuries again. Uh, you know that's really what's going to potentially hold him back from getting drafted um, are those medicals but uh, still a guy that I think deserves a shot at the next level now when you transition to the offensive line up front uh, the offensive tackle position this is one where you know we, we've had some lean years at the offensive tackle position had 21 come off the board in 2020 92 in all in the last five seasons so right around 18 19 you know is about what's to be expected um, we know with Sewell Slater Darisaw Cosme and uh, and Alex Leatherwood coming off the board in round one you've got five there that'd be the uh, let's see the most um, Let's see, we had six in 2020, um, but uh, that'd be the second most there since 2016. Um, in round two, I think Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, the big physical dude there um, for the Cowboys. Makes a ton of sense coming off the board in round two. Uh, Jalen Mayfield continues to get better there at right tackle there from Michigan. Some people have him coming off the board in round one. I don't buy into that just yet. Uh, Dylan Radens out of North Dakota State. Has a potential to sneak into round one. Technician, not overly athletic. I think that's why he falls to round two. Liam Eichenberg, I can see, I can make a case for Liam Eichenberg being a first round pick. He's one of my favorite guys. I have him as uh, the number four uh, tight end. I'm sorry, number four offensive tackle behind uh, you know, Christian Derisau, um in my rankings because he was just so consistent. Model of consistency, not the most explosive in terms of the, you know, the, the running game, not as physical, but uh, man, you know, the, the knee bender, very easy with those hands, easy movements, um, shoots those hands inside, and once he gets his hands locked on you, it's over. But he could easily come off the board in round three because of those, some of those physical limitations as well. Uh, I think Spencer Brown out of Nor- uh, Northern Iowa, uh, has the potential to be this year's Makai Becton. He's 6'9", 322, uh, wants to maul you, throw you all over the field, much like Makai Becton did. Um, Brady Christensen, another guy that I think was a model of consistency. That's why he was a first-team All-American on a lot of boards. 6'6", 300 pounds. Uh, the, the junior uh, lacks some, some lower body strength, I think. You know, I think that's where you know he was limited some in in the running game, um, but definitely a guy that is you know passing game 
you didn't have to worry about him giving up uh, any rushers there on the left-hand side. Um, I think Jackson Carmen, uh, Walker Little, and Tommy Doyle would be that next group of, of uh, offensive tackles to come off the board in round four. Uh, Robert Hainsey, physical dude. Uh, Dan, Dan Moore, the first of the uh, maroon goons to come off the board there in round five. Um, I, I think that Alaric Jackson really has struggled. You know, I, I thought that he his draft stock there uh, coming into his junior season was, was probably at its highest. Battled some injuries when he came back, struggled a little bit. Um, you know, up and down season this past year. I've got him coming off the board right now in round six. Carson Green, Texas A&M. He's the guy that I really like. He could end up moving up some draft boards. I thought that he was actually pretty consistent there on the right, uh, on the right side for the Aggies. Uh, Landon Young, big physical mauler type of dude there for, for Kentucky. Um, workman-like approach to the game. Adrian Ely, probably the most consistent offensive tackle for Oklahoma. Right tackle. I, I, sixth round feels about right for him. And then round seven off the tackles you know you're looking at probably one to two tackles coming off the board in round seven i think grant herman's um definitely makes a ton of sense there um he's a guy that look he, he manned the the left side of the line there for purdue six seven three oh four um i think he can come off the board as uh, james hudson more of a a uh, developmental guy there for cincinnati junior but he's decided to go ahead and declare for the draft 6'5 311 pounds i think you know it makes sense to see him come off the board there late on day three if you look at the guard position now this is another position that traditionally kind of up and down you know we had some lean years in 27 and 2018 uh, 2017 you only had 12 uh, guards taken 2018 just nine but uh this past season we had 18 led by Robert Hunt in round number two. And, uh, you know, 71 guards total in the last five drafts. So you're looking at probably right around that 14, 15, you know, tackle range or guard range. That's probably about what to what to expect. Uh, Wyatt Davis and, and Elijah Vera Tucker, we had them coming off the board in round number one. Um, I think Trey Smith, you know, uh, the, the Tennessee product, uh, was a left tackle, freshman All-American, battled the blood clots, worked his way back, uh, looks like a, a menace there at, at the guard position. Um, I think he comes off the board in round two. Um, Aaron Banks, 6'6", 330 pounds, was a first-team All-American there for Notre Dame. Physical presence there uh, on the left side of the line for them. Um, I think Deontay... Uh, let's see. So I think Deontay Brown is going to come off the board there in, in round number three. Um, Deontay Brown, I think weight is going to be a huge concern for him. He can he can end up seeing his draft stock fall quite a bit. He was 6'4", 350 pounds. Needs to watch the weight. Um, you know, Deontay Smith out of East Carolina, he's 6'4", 287. Um, I, I don't see him being a tackle, so that's why I didn't have him listed at the tackle prospects. I think he'll move inside to guard. I think he has a starter potential uh, coming out of East Carolina. Um, when you look at, at round four, I think Royce Freeman out of Mississippi, he was the right tackle there uh, for the Rebels, a guy that I thought was pretty consistent shooting his hands to the inside. I really like him there in round number four. Uh, Noah Laufenberg, very physical player there for Air Force, 6'3", 293 pounds, very adept in the run game. 
Um, I think Keegan ended up coming up in round four as well. Um, let's see who else we have. Ben Cleveland, the best interior lineman that Georgia had. He's another big physical dude. And um, you know, Cleveland, 6'6", 335. And uh, Jack Anderson out of Texas Tech, another guy that you know is pretty uh, athletic for uh, for his size there at the guard position. Uh, Sedarius Hutcherson, uh, Keodi Awasika, uh, Channon Herring out of BYU. You know, those are the three guys that I have penciled in right now in the fifth round. Um, I think with uh, Awasika there for, for Buffalo, he's a was their left tackle, but I think he's a you know, more of a physical guy. Physical presence, struggled with speed coming off the edge. I think you kick him into inside. Um, has that starter potential as well. Um, I'm going to give you a, a, a name that I think the draft circles really know, and that's Quinn Miners out, out of uh, Wisconsin Whitewater. He's 6'3", 320. I think a little undersized at the tackle position, but a guy that can be a mauler there inside a guard. Uh, Kendrick Green out of Illinois, uh, another guy who's decided to come out and enter the draft, 6'4", 315. Six round range makes about you know makes right sense there. Jared Hawker um, there for Texas A&M, a veteran presence. Uh, Tristan Hogue, another veteran there for BYU. I think those guys limited athletically, but guys that I think can come off the board there round seven range. You know I think you're going to see probably two to three guards come off the board in round seven as well. And then finally to round things out, we're going to stick in the middle of that offensive line, the pivot, the center position. Uh, 41 centers taken in the last five round or five drafts. Um, you know the 2018 draft saw 11 centers taken, but in uh, every other draft, but uh, but this last one, so that's 2016, 17, and 19, he had seven centers taken. We had nine this past season, so we can see seven, anywhere between seven, nine centers come off the board this year. We're not going to see one come off the board in round number one. Uh, Landon Dickerson, I think, is the best center in this draft, but he's coming off yet another injury. Had the injuries there at Florida State, so the question really remains, you know, what are the medicals? I think that's really going to tell everything for Landon Dickerson. We can see his draft stock plummet if, uh, you know, the knee injuries don't really check out. Um, you know, Creed Humphrey, model of consistency there for, for OU. Uh, the wrestler understands leverage, uh, really led that offensive line. Uh, when he started as a, as a freshman, much like uh, Tyler Beattis there at Wisconsin, he had uh, an extremely talented line around him. And then ultimately, you know, when, when you have the likes of Orlando Brown or, uh, or Cody Ford, uh, graduate and move on to the next level. Uh, you have Ben Ben Powers and uh, Drew Samia, guys that were all drafted. You're starting over with a new line, and he was able to still have that line perform at a high level. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense for him to come off the board in round two. Uh, Josh Myers, the junior out of Ohio State, um, right now to me is the only guy that I see coming off the board in round three. Round four, uh, Ryan McCollum out of Texas A&M. Look, you know, you've got the, the Maroon Goons, uh, 6'4", 300 pounds. Um, I thought he was one of the more consistent uh, players uh, at that center position. And so I've got him coming off the board as my number four center right now. Uh, moving into the fifth round, uh, Drew Dahlman of Stanford, Michael Bennett uh, out of Penn State. Uh, veteran players there, uh, Dahlman only a junior, but I could see them coming off the board there. 
Um, how about Drake Jackson? Um, you know, he's only 6'2". Uh, Jimmy Morrissey, the winner of the Burlesworth Trophy, um, coming off the board round number six. And then round things out, you've got Trey Hill, uh, the, the junior out of Georgia. Uh, there at the center position, a guy that I think needs to watch his weight a little bit. Um, but a guy that can play with some physicality and just because he's drafted in round number seven doesn't mean he won't make an NFL roster. I think he actually will. Um, but again, you know, he needs to keep that weight under control. So those are the guys that I anticipate coming off the board on the offensive side of the football as of right now. Taking a look at everybody that's... Um, that's draft eligible. And that's not to say that things aren't going to change. And we're going to be taking a look at it as we go through the draft process. We want to make sure that we're getting the height measurements correct. We're going to have to make sure that uh, you know what we're seeing, validating what we're seeing on the game film when we look at uh, a lot of the drills and uh, the 40 times and things like that. So we absolutely want to see what those got, what what can happen there. And then obviously, when you're talking about draft boards. And who's drafting where, you know, obviously I'm just taking a look at this and just saying, all right, here's a grade for, for a player and who I can see coming off the board in a particular round and really using a lot of the, the, the stats and the metrics to really say, okay, if we've got four tackles coming off the board in round five, who are those four tackles likely going to be not really even knowing who's going to be, be up to, to draft a tackle there in round five. So you know, there, there's there's an inexact science with this, but I just wanted to take its different look at uh, at the draft and really a different look at the, the draft eligible prospects. So I uh, hope you enjoyed at least taking a look at things a little bit differently. We're going to take a look at the defensive side of the football uh, later on in the week. And uh, you know we've got the defensive ends, all the way through to the to the safety position, and uh, you know really want to start you know taking a look at um, you know obviously that that edge rush position. Um, want to be able to look at okay, you've got Gregory Rousseau, Quiddy Pay, Joseph Osai, Jalen Phillips. We know that those are going to be guys coming off the edge, but is there going to be a guy that can be a playmaker in the middle rounds? Um, that defensive tackle position, really one that's that struggled. Um, you know, quite a bit. You know, where's everybody going to, what's going to happen to Marvin Wilson? Is he going to be a second rounder? Is he going to fall to round number three? Um, you know, do we just see Christian Barmore and Davion Nixon as the only two defensive tackles? Um, linebackers. Now, I didn't mention Nick Bolton. Why not? He should be a first rounder, right? A lot of people have him coming off the board in round one. Um, why do we only have, uh, you know, four linebackers coming off the board in, in round one. Uh, who do we have coming off the board in rounds two and three? Uh, a lot of familiar names coming off the board there. Um, and then in the secondary, you've got Sertan, you've got Farley, you've got Horn, uh, Eric Stokes as that number four cornerback, uh, Trevin Merrick as a safety. But when you get into that group on, on day two, um, you know, from, from Elijah Molden and Asante Samuel, to uh, you know, Tyson Campbell, uh, Melifonwu is a name to remember. Uh, Rodarius Williams coming out of Oklahoma State. Uh, don't forget about uh, Paulson Adebo, who does have some skill there. And then you know, safeties. Uh, Sean Wade, you have to mention as a safety, really. 
Uh, Talano Hufanga at, at USC, Andre Sisco battling some injuries there from Syracuse, or Darius Washington, the other TCU safety, Javon Holland, uh, Pomsa Nazaruddin. A lot of guys, a lot of guys there on the back end of the, of the defense, uh, guys that really you have to kind of keep an eye out for. And even though we only have five coming off the board in round one, a lot of guys, like I said, on day two and into day three, that are going to end up not only making NFL rosters, but guys that I think um, are going to be making impact early on in their careers. So we'll have a lot to cover in the next podcast. Uh, So until then, we're going to go ahead and end this podcast now. uh, Episode 16 of the Ready for the Draft podcast. I hope you've enjoyed everything. Uh, And uh, if you haven't already, check out readyforthedraft.com. I've got my... Uh, breakdown by position and my mock draft will be on the website here this week. I'll start uh, at first. I'm going to go ahead and at least have my list list out my, my first round and I'll start going to work actually breaking down um, not only the team needs, but then also start to break down the, the players as well um, and get that out to you. So once again, for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week. Until next time, I am out of here.